thankful uh, to be here in this book of Jonah that we've been in. This will be uh, the fifth sermon uh, of six. We will wrap this up next Sunday morning, Lord willing. Um, but we're in our, our fifth sermon here. I will say that if you've missed the, the earlier part of the series uh, and you want to catch it, it is on our website. We also uh, we, we stream live to YouTube, so you can find it there. We've also got a, a podcast. If you've got an Apple phone, Apple podcast, you can go find uh, called Faith Life Ministry. So you can catch all the, the new, new sermons, new material. Um, but also we'll throw some things from three and four years ago on there occasionally as well, sermons. So uh, I'd encourage you to go subscribe to that. Um, and uh, so this morning we are in Jonah. Uh, we've made it. There's four chapters in the book of Jonah. And we've made it to chapter 4. I would venture to say that when we started this, when I said I was going to be preaching on Jonah, pretty much everybody in here said, oh yeah, Jonah, he got swallowed by the well, he repented, and he got spit out. Most of us knew that part of the story, uh, I, would, I would venture to say. Uh, probably a few more people knew that you know after he got spit, well, I say spit, he got vomited, let's be biblically accurate here. Uh, he got vomited out on the beach by the great fish. Uh, that he ended up, he did go to Nineveh, and he did preach to Nineveh, uh, as we learned last week. A uh, you know a straight ahead sermon of judgment, uh, and the Ninevites did listen. They uh, they did stop their evil ways from the king all the way down to the lowest uh, of of the social class. They all collectively had this. We talked about it last week. This viral repentance or revival in Nineveh. And they all repented. Some of us knew chapter 3. That's what happened in chapter 3. Now, it just, it, it really feels like to me, that's a pretty triumphant ending, right? If I was writing this book, that'd be a good place to end it. Especially, all right, who has gone ahead and read chapter 4? Three people. We got to work on this. No, all right, y'all being on, we got some coming up. So, you, spoiler alert, right? It doesn't end in chapter 3. Because I think it, it's important to kind of realize that life is not always a, a, a fairy tale ending. I think there's some part of this that shows us that, hey, life is... We wish that we could just write this perfect story, and that's the way it ended. Uh, but the, the end of chapter 3 feels like this triumphant, right? Jonah, he's repented. All things are good. He, God asked him to go to Nineveh, so he ends up going back. He preaches to them. He does what God asked him to. They all listened. He preached this great sermon. They listened, uh, and they were spared the wrath that God had intended to bring upon them. But then... We get to chapter 4, and we find that life is full of twists and turns. That on this side of heaven, it doesn't always end on a triumphant note with a fairy tale ending. And I would say there's very few of us that truly understood how the book of Jonah ends and what happens in chapter 4. Let's read chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. We're going to do about half of it this morning. We'll get 6 through 11, I think, is the last verse of the chapter next week, um, 1 through 5 this morning. So start in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, but to Jonah, remember, at the end of chapter 3, they've all repented. God relents from sending the wrath on them. <clears throat> okay. 
This is this is the equivalent of UK basketball winning the championship. This is this is what they were called to do, what they practiced to do, what they wanted to see happen. They worked all season to get there and win the championship. That's what happened to Jonah. He's a preacher. He's a prophet. He is meant to 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 appeal God's word to people, to send it out forth and hope they listen. And he just went to a pagan city and everybody listened. That's like winning five championships in a row, right? And this is, whew, I just feel like y'all mad at me all the time. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said? Lord, when I was still at home, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? I want to I say this just for a moment. When I've, I've been great, but I, I played second base, and when we would... We practiced the coach, and he he was teaching us uh, techniques and the mechanics. You know things like you always square up to the ball, don't be afraid of the ball, get your glove all the way to the ground, all those types of things. And uh, I could I could listen to those mechanics pretty well and do them. I very rarely got the ball in my glove, but I could. I was pretty good at keeping it from getting by me. And so he would always say, "I want everybody to watch Jared. He's putting on a clinic." Not because I was catching the ball, just because. I mean, I had bruises, I was going home, and like I was just doing what he said, right? And so he would say, watch him, he's putting on a clinic, and I wasn't that great. Uh, but they were, they were looking to see, he was just saying, I would put my glove all the way down, I would square up, I wasn't afraid of the ball. This, uh, this <laughs> chapter 4 starts out with a clinic from Jonah on how not to pray, <laughs> okay? The, Roz came home last Sunday from church, and they are teaching them the Lord's Prayer and working to memorize it. That's a clinic on how to pray. This is the opposite. What Jonah does here, I mean, is just like, uh, it's the exact opposite. If you laid the Lord's Prayer, I started to make the whole sermon this compare and contrast, and then I got bored. And I said, well, if I'm bored, you all are going to be bored. But if you look at the compare and contrast by what Jonah prays here and what the Lord's Prayer is, I mean, he's just totally off guard. You hear so many uh, in, this, in, in this prayer, uh, you hear, isn't this what I said when I was still at home that I tried to forestall? You, you see him putting himself in God's position. That's really what he's doing here. And he's so angry. Um, and uh, the, the truth is um, that we may not, it may not, we may not wear it on our face all the time. But Jonah was really, he wasn't just angry, he was angry at God. And we may not wear it on our face all the time, but at some level, at some depth, uh, we're angry at God. And we can harbor that, we can bury it, and we see it just come bubbling out here uh, with Jonah. Um, but we, we'll find ourselves mad at God over life circumstances. Over just that life didn't go how we thought it was planned. 
something did some, somebody did something to you. Maybe it was your childhood. Maybe you had a bad childhood. Maybe you had bad parents. Maybe, maybe you had a bad marriage. Maybe you, you've had death in your family. It can be so many different things. It can just seem unfair. It could be around a career, a job. It could be you. somebody lied on you, somebody cheated on you, somebody backstabbed you. That's this world that happens and life's not fair. And I'm telling you, we can harbor that type of anger and we see it coming out of, of, of Jonah here. What I want to say is the, uh, that anger is evidence of us trying to be God. You say, well, I'm not trying to be God. I trust God. I believe in God. But when we get angry about life circumstances that are unfair, what we're really saying is, I really, I would have known better how to do this, God. And we're, we're breaking our trust with him and saying, I would have known better. I knew better. I knew better what should have been done. Or I told you so. Or how could you? All these things that uh, show we, we, we just have a lack of trust in who he is. Uh, so I want you to look at your neighbor. If you take notes, you can write this down. But look at your saying and say, hey, I'm not God. Can you do that? And every wife said, Finally. You're right. <laughs> It'd be worth writing it down if you're a note taker in a margin of your Bible and remind ourselves. Because in our minds, in our hearts, we may know it, but in our minds, we're living things that show we don't really, we've not buried that deep and owned it and said, We are not God. I cannot control external circumstances. That the bad things that happen to my life, i got to remember that God promised he can use those all to my good. And we got to remind ourselves uh, that we're not God and we've got to let it go. So let's see what he's, he's digging into here. Um, and, and really the, the depth of this prayer, the, the whole thing of this prayer is that he thought he knew better. Jonah thought he knew better. Uh, than, than God. And we, we find in this, really, he reveals the reason he ran in the first place. And I've kind of hinted at it, and maybe y'all, some of you who didn't read chapter 4 said, How's uh, Jared's just guessing why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place? Uh, but we find it here. He just comes right out and says it in verse 2 I pray to the Lord, uh, isn't this what I said? Meaning, he's been having some conversation with God from the beginning. When I was still at home, this is what I said when I was still at home. That this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Remember, he hates the Assyrian people that live in Nineveh. They are, and with good reason, they were one of the most evil people to ever live on the face of the earth. They did awful things that I'm not even going to talk about up here. Uh, Nineveh represented, it wasn't at that time, but later it would become an Assyrian capital. Uh, but it was still a major city in the Assyrian Empire. And represented all that was evil to Jonah. And he absolutely uh, hated them. Here's uh, somebody kind of wrote out what that conversation might have been like. We don't have it. I don't know for sure. But this might have been some of the things that Jonah was saying. I just knew you might do something like this. These people are evil. 
and they only changed because they were scared. They didn't convert and start worshiping you. They merely promised to start changing. And you bestow mercy on them for that? It's good that you are a God of mercy, but this time you've gone too far. That's really a summary of what Jonah is saying here. I, got a, I, I wrote down a few notes here as I was thinking about this. Uh, times we think we know better. And, you know, better in this situation. Uh, but we do that sometimes uh, with, with God in our own lives and very clear commandments that he gives us, very clear things he tells us to do. Uh, you know, the, the Bible is very clear that with wisdom, now, it, it, I'm not saying the Bible says it is a sin to be in debt, but it does give us great wisdom that says if you're in debt, you're a slave to the lender and shows us the direction of financial responsibility. And yet, each and every one of us will finance a toaster oven. Am I right? Am I wrong? Like six months, same as cash on a $40 toaster oven. It's $8 a month. I'm in. It's $48 toaster oven, please. But God's told us what the clear path is and what where the wisdom is, and, and yet we'll say, ah, oh, but I know better. I know better. I can do this. It, think about America as a culture and, um, and how God has really taught us some things. I'm going to just jump into some things here that may be a little divisive. I don't know. Uh, but they were on my, they were on my heart. Uh, how the Bible teaches about the sanctity of sex within the confines of marriage and how important that is. You know, I was reading some statistics, something like 60% of the people that are getting married in America have lived together before they have gotten married. There's some statistic, oh, an overwhelming majority of children in America will live with parents at some point that are living together uh, but not married. And so we will justify, we will find ways to justify, oh yeah, God, I know what you taught and what you should do. But you see, it's the way, it's just, you, it's the way you find things out. It's the way the world works now. And we'll say, but we know better. And yet there's stats like this, um, just on this one issue. I want to show that, that when, when God teaches us something and gives us direction and gives us clear right from wrong, it's not just a rule, it's actually beneficial at the same time. It's actually the good and right thing uh, to do. Because here, here's some facts just uh, around this one issue of cohabitation, living together with someone when you're not married. Living together is considered to be more stressful than being married. This is based on research. Just over 50% of first cohabiting couples ever get married. So if you're getting into that situation thinking this is going to lead to marriage, uh, only half of them do. Uh, couples who live together are at greater risk for divorce than non-cohabiting couples. Uh, uh, couples who live separation rate five times that of married couples and a reconciliation rate of one-third. So if they do get separated, only a third of them get back together as opposed to married couples. They're more likely to experience infidelity. I could keep reading down this list. All I'm trying to say is God is teaching us things. He gives us commandments. He gives us clear, right, wrong. Here's what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And even in those specific things, we will begin to try to justify 
and make, uh, and make excuses for our actions. It's quiet in here. And here's Jonah saying, but I know better. And we tend to do the same thing. It's revealing here the reason he ran in the first place because because uh, he hated these people. And God, I'm getting into a lot of stuff today. Y'all may never come back. It's, it's the New Endings Fellowship Church this morning. <laughs> um, but but what, when I was thinking, I was really thinking hard through this when uh, Jane, Jonah was hating these Assyrian people, and and I was sharing Wednesday night in Bible study. You know, we don't really have. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that. Uh, racism obviously still exists in this country at some level, and some of us are guilty of it without even doing it on purpose. Um, but I don't think we have the level of what was happening here with Jonah, how he really just had a disdain for this one group of people. And, and, and what he was really, the heart of this, if you go back a few weeks to the message, where he was just, he just thought they, des- they should get what they deserved, right? That is just how he felt about them, is that they should, they've been evil, they deserve wrath. Right? That's how, and it was just that simple for him. We found out that God would rather extend mercy than judgment. God's core character is love, and out of that comes judgment. But he would, he would we find he would rather give mercy and, and, and grace and, and give these, these people a chance to, to repent and turn from their ways. He would rather do that than judge them, but Jonah would rather judge them. Um, and so I was thinking... Well, does that exist in our country? And then I started thinking about something. Politics. Nobody's getting up and leaving. I'm not going to pick a side. But I'm asking you, just from your observations of politics in America, do you think one side thinks the other side should get what they deserve? And the other side thinks the other side should get what they deserve. Do you see it? I mean, it is blatant to me that the devil has gotten the midst of our country and is tearing it apart. That we are not looking at people as people. That no matter what side you're on, I think there's Christians on both sides. And I don't think one side or the other side is a Christian and the other isn't. But I, I definitely see from people that I'm around and just watching Facebook and the world all around us that if you meet somebody, you find out what political party they are, all of a sudden you think different about that person. And there's a wall that's put up, a wedge that's put up. I'm saying God's people should be God's people. And I'm... Uh, uh, under the the understanding, I'm thinking, I, I'm I'm thinking about um, I'm thinking about Jesus and how he related to government and how the government at his time was the most hostile that probably ever existed to the Christian faith. And, and, and I want us just as a church to realize our government does not have to be Christian for our the church to be active in changing people's lives. 
that God changes people one life at a time. And, and, and God, I'm getting way out there in things that I don't know, but it's on my heart. When we, God came to fulfill the law, okay? If we think changing laws, I'm not against changing laws, and I'm pro-life, and I'm all these things, but when we get so focused on changing laws and thinks that is going to solve America's problem, we've missed the message of the gospel. That this is a heart issue. There was a guy back in the 1800s, I used to reference, I used this reference like almost 10 years ago in a sermon I was preaching in another church, and Ed Smith is here, uh, and I remember I, I'd, uh, I'd used this quote from a guy named Alexis de Tocqueville, I read it, I'd learned it in this college class, I read his book, he's got a book called Democracy in America, he was a French guy, he came to the United States in the early 1800s, it was after the French Revolution, America was this great experiment. He came to see, how's this working? Why is it working? And uh, and I used to quote, I'll share in just a minute, but I just remember, I didn't really know Ed that well yet, but after the, after the service, he just came walking by and he shook my hand and he just went, Alexis to Tocqueville. Hmm, in a sermon. <laughs> it was that kind of, where did that come from? But But he said this thing, he came to America and he wanted to know why it was great. And it, here's the observation, just one of the observations in that book that he, that he has. Uh, he, he noticed all of the churches. He noticed churches all around the country, the countryside. And he noticed the people's commitment and faith. And, and this is the, the observation he made about it. He said, America is great because she is good. If she ever ceases to be good... She'll cease to be great. And he was talking about the people. He was talking about on the ground, the church, the faith, the place of people's hearts. And so, now that I've dug this hole, I'm going to try to dig back out of it. Uh, and this is just how I'd written it out. I think I basically said it, but um, where we believe that where we believe that the solution to the country's moral degradation is about more laws and more government uh, serving in the role of the church. We also see that too. We also see that God called us to take care of the poor among us, the the disadvantaged among us, and the government has really stepped in. And fulfilling that role, and a lot, lots of people think they should be. Uh, I think, uh, at a great level, it's the role of the the church because we do it with a relationship, with a spirit, with a with an ability. And so, I think there's just certain things, and I'm not going to. I was digging out, and I went deeper. <laughs> um, now I'm getting out. All I'm going to say, all I'm going to say, is if we want to change this country, it's one heart at a time. It's one heart at a time. It's that is the only thing that can change hearts, and we can't be looking at people and, and thinking that, thinking that because they're on one side or the other, they're not a person, and that and that we're all about one or the other. And if somebody does something wrong, we can't wait till they get what they deserve. I mean, this last two weeks, it's been all that's on the news, right? 
Pelosi or Trump, one, they both, every, half the country thinks one needs to get what they deserve and the other half thinks the other. And in our hearts, would we really be happy if all of them turned to Christ and said, wait? Or have we gotten mixed up in the debate? Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Character of God. Jonah knew it here. Jonah knew it. And he speaks beautiful things about God here. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate. I knew you were slow to anger. That you're abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. What great character traits of our God. And he's shown it in this book over and over. He's, he's shown it uh, to the pagan sailors in chapter 1. They've met the true and the living God. He's shown it to Jonah himself Jonah, who began in disobedience at the first of this book by running away from God and, and getting on the ship. And, and it says God appointed a storm. He sent the waves, the winds crashing on Jonah. And, and, then, uh, and then we find the mercy of the great fish that God sends for Jonah. We find he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And then he shows it uh, to the Ninevites and and we find the end of Jonah's prayer. How does he get to this point? He has just won the championship. He's a preacher, and everybody he just preached to got saved. And now he's angry. Now, some of you have been angry to this point. Some of you have been to the point of despair to this point where Jonah was literally saying, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I can't get into his head here what he's really thinking. I think maybe he felt like he had such a reputation and there was such a stoic approach to the Syrians with his people, the Jews, that maybe he couldn't handle going back and telling them that he was the one that just preached God to the enemy and the enemy all got saved. I mean, maybe that's part of what his problem is. Maybe he just can't face the fact that God has done this and that he was the one that stepped forth and did it. Now, in chapter 1, it says God threw, he appointed this storm, he, he appointed this great fish. I mean, he, and, and doesn't Jonah sound different here than his prayer in chapter 2? <laughs> if you go back to chapter 2, right, he says, I was seeking deep. And the, the seaweed was wrapped around me and I was getting ready to die. And I looked to the mercy seat again. I looked to the grace of God and deliver me, deliver me. When he was about to die, that's what he was saying. And now what's he saying? I just want to die. Just let me die, God. But this time, Jesus treats him differently. God treats him differently. And this was the title of the sermon. And I think this is... Uh, um, I think it's just so interesting to see how God deals with him differently in different situations. Uh, and I imagine this. I just imagine God look, seeing Jonah uh, do this and, and, uh, and, and this phrase that we'll use as a parent or in a situation. 
And when the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? I could just hear God saying, now Jonah. Now Jonah. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that this same mercy and grace that you're frustrated about, that you are angry about, is the reason you're alive and you're breathing? Have you forgotten that you were a recipient of the very thing that you're not wanting these people to get? Or you're mad that I'm giving to them? Your actions are doing well, but your heart is misplaced. And I thought about this yesterday. I was, uh, I gave Beth some uh, mommy time. Her and her sister Amber went out for a few hours. Um, she doesn't get a lot of that. She needs more. Uh, so I had Rosie and I had uh, Harker. So I got a, uh, some of you, I don't know. I've got a 10-year-old daughter and a 1-year-old little boy. And, uh, and then uh, Rosie's cousin, Britton, who's 11 or 12, came over. And so, and I was studying some and, you know, and babysitting and, uh, not babysitting, I'm the dad. I always get frustrated when dads say they're babysitting. And I just did it. Uh, <laughs> But I had the kids, and I was I was trying to get the house cleaned up, trying to get the dishwasher unloaded. You know, when the wife is out and she gets back, you want it to look like you did something, right? <laughs> if you're smart, you want it to look like you did something. Um, and so uh, Rosie's cousin came over to Britain, and she came to me. I was sitting there, and I was studying a little bit, working on some notes, and, and, uh, and she said, can, can me and Britain make banana bread in the kitchen? Nine, or no, 10 and 11-year-olds, I think. Maybe Britain's 12. What's your all's answer? No. Okay. Did she walk away? No. What'd she say? But, Daddy, can we, we just want to make banana bread. What was my answer? No. She kind of walked away. Britain was standing in the kitchen, one room over, like waiting to see what I was going to say. And, uh, and I heard Rosie, she asked again, and all her face was changing, you know, all these sounds were coming out of this kid, like, it was, it was progressing, you know, and she said, but can we, can we, but we just want to make banana bread, We've, we, I've cooked before, I said, have you ever cooked before, in the kitchen, by yourself, no, and she said, but can I make banana bread, me and Britt, and we can do it, what was my answer, never, <laughs> okay, And then, what only kids can do, she asked again in a different language. And you parents, you know what that language is like. Right? I mean, it's not even English, but I know what she's saying. What did I say that time? I didn't say a word. Parents got a face. You all know you have faces? She didn't ask again after that fourth time because she got the face. I can't even do it to you all. I like you too much. You've not done anything to make me mad. But here's what happened for the next 20 minutes. I wish I had a chair up here. She got to the couch, right? Rosie. 
what's wrong with you? Are you okay? <laughs> right? Let me read you chapter 5. This word right here, a gracious and compassionate God. Compassionate, it means a loving parent. Intense love of a parent. Compassionate God. Verse 5, now listen what Jonah does. Jonah, he'd gone out of the city. He'd gone east of the city. He'd sat down. He made himself a shelter. And he began to sit in its shade. And he was watching to see what would happen to the city. We know he's angry. He's gone to the couch. And he's like this. With God. He's sulking. Right? He, he is poor, pitiful. Jonah, poor, pitiful me. I'm going out here. I cannot believe this. They start. Now I'm going to wait. Because remember what he told them. He said, if y'all don't change in 40 days, God, you're going to get destroyed. He only preached, said it took him three days to get across the city, so now he's gone outside the city. He's sulking on the couch, and he's watching to see what God's going to do. Do you think I knew some things Rosie didn't know? You think I've ever gone to a stove while it was turned on and went like this to see if it was hot <laughs> when it was and melted the skin off my fingers. Yes, did that. I knew there were several things going to come out if I let them go into the kitchen by themselves. Like the first one that I didn't want to take ownership of, and that was the mess, right? I mean, the mess. I mean, she's never got flour out by herself and sugar and whatever it takes to make a banana. And we didn't even have bananas, I don't think. Uh, she didn't peel a banana, but she didn't, She probably, now give them credit, they probably could have Googled it and figured out some recipe and made some form of something, mostly a mess. It was what was in my mind. Uh, so that was the first thing that was going to be made. The, the second thing uh, was probably a very subpar banana bread that nobody was probably going to eat. The third thing is, I knew enough to not let my 10-year-old, who has never had experience with an oven on turning it on or a stove that's going to get hot, that could do bodily harm, like very, like, no. No, I know better because the intense love of a parent. What we don't understand when we get angry with God is we are... We can't see all that he can see. We don't know all that he knows. And when we go and suck, she wanted to be her own parent in that moment. But let me tell you when she wouldn't want to be her own parent, when it came dinner time, <laughs> when it came time for her to figure out where she's going to sleep tonight, when she realizes all the things that we provide for, are you seeing the alignment here of how God cares for us and how Jonah has made his way to the couch and how sometimes we make our way to the couch and we just want to sit and be angry with God?
I'll say for this for Jonah. Uh, he had made some improvement here over his time in the ship. I said this is the, the clinic on how not to pray, and he really does do a very bad job. But to be honest, he was doing better than some of us because he was at least talking to God. He was at least talking to him. You know what prayer, it's not always, it's not always the Lord's prayer. It's not, sometimes it is just pouring out our heart and emotion and realizing God is our friend. And sometimes it is just pouring out the frustration. And in those times when God sees our heart as tender, he might just say, now, Jonah. And we find that he cares for him. But the, at the heart of this, uh, at the heart of Jonah's struggle is that it's only been, it's not been that long since he got vomited up on the beach and he had already forgotten he had already forgotten the provision, the grace and mercy and how all his hope and the only reason he had any standing, any leg to stand on was because God, he had already forgotten. And that happens for us. It happens for us. We forget how, God, how good God has been to us. I saw this thing online. I'm going to close with it. Um, uh, and... And this is really, in summary, what God has been doing with Jonah and what he's done with our life. And it really just says this. A lot of things broke my heart, but fixed my vision. God is continually working in our life through storms, through trials, through troubles, to bring our focus on him, on him. And when we can see it for that, took Rosie about 20 minutes. I was saying, now, Rosie, I started joking with her again. I didn't let them make banana nut bread, but it wasn't long till she understood that I cared about her. If you will stand with us. I'm just going to play a song. Half of our worship team was out this morning. Uh, some sick, some other things. So we've got a song I want to share. Uh, it's a song by Zach Williams. It says, this is my rescue story. And my rescue story is in one person. That's Jesus. Our hope, we sang this morning, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You can look all over. For things to fix your problems, solve your situations, bring your family back together, to bring joy and peace to your life. You can, you can do it with material things. You can want more things. You can try it with power. You can try it with, with career. You can try it with all kinds of things. And yet we find the things that God teaches us right and wrong are for our benefit. And that sometimes when our heart is broken, it's to fix our vision.